At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Gracious Leader Podcast with your host, Doris Young Boyer. Thank you for joining us today. The mission of this podcast is for you to hear from experts the power of graciousness to help you create the life you want and lead others to do the same. You will learn strategies and techniques to transform awkward situations, insights to create and sustain relationships, strategies to develop collaborative cultures, and proven methods to lead with poise and power. Here's Doris. Welcome to part two of my conversation with Hugh Bellew. Hugh has 40 years experience as an orchestra conductor, and he's currently president of Cinevision International. Our topic is leading by personal influence instead of power of position. Welcome back, Hugh, and we look forward to today's conversation. Now, you work with nonprofit leaders and clergy most of the time, and you've mentioned that as you've been talking today. So are your tips just for that audience? I do about um, 70% of my work with that sector. I do 30%. I choose corporate clients very carefully and those clients pay the bills because uh, the impact of, of my work brings them lots of difference. You know, the, they're mm-hmm. in a higher position and they can make a huge, bigger difference. I do a lot of work in the sector that doesn't pay well, because it's not a sector that, that has a lot of money for personal development. So it's, it's an area where um, leadership is important. Leadership is blind to where it is. It can be, Anywhere, we're leaders in our family because we influence other people. And we're leaders in the church because we influence other people. We're leaders in Rotary. You know, I got this thing on my lapel that says president-elect. You know, <laughs> they, they said, okay, it's you. And I didn't... <laughs> oh, so well, that's how you get to be a leader. Somebody says, it's you. Well, or they say you're the leader and now we want you to work work here and and, and use your skills. So um, we influence people no matter where we are, no matter what kind of organization and whether it's for money or for love or both, hmm. you know, amateur means love. And so we say, I'm just an amateur. Well, you're good because you love what you're doing. And people who are professional can learn about that because they need to keep that that amateur perspective that I love doing this. So no. Um, this leadership, I have programs that are specifically for entrepreneurs and specifically for pastors and specifically for non-private leaders. But, you know, the only thing different is some of the names, uh, like volunteer <laughs> doesn't appear in business. So the, the, the nuances are there, but the core strategies and tools are the same. Very interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit more about some of the myths that you outlined. You have one called the extrovert myth. Now, what is that myth? Now, you may have determined just, or you may have had a hunch that I'm an extrovert. (laughs) So um, extroverts think out in front. We just throw ideas out and we expect people to come back with, okay, what about this? What about that? Now, introverts process everything and then talk about it. 
And so when I talk about it, an introvert hears it as a final answer. When I'm thinking, we're going to have a dialogue on it. And it's it's the way we process information. It's the way we gather energy. And the myth is that leaders are out there and they're extroverts. Well, the majority of conductors are introverts. The majority of pastors are introverts. I think it's as high as three-fourths on Myers-Briggs test. Three-fourths of all clergy are introverts. So it's not about whether we can be present and, and impact people's lives. It's about where we gather our energy. Um, introverts gather energy privately, and when they're in public, it, it spends a lot of energy. When I'm in public, it just it fuels me. Like I'd come home from rehearsals ready to go two more hours because I was supercharged by the group. An introvert would be worn out and go to bed. Um, so it, there's different nuances, but you do not have to be an extrovert to be a leader. It has nothing to do with whether you're shy or not. It has nothing to do with leadership. So we tell ourselves, oh, that person is, is spontaneous. Well, we lead with different styles. Now, in, in my many years of working with people, one of the attendees at one of the conferences was an accountant. And when we did our, our, our one minute, our 20 second pitch, um, I, I encourage people to show your passion. If you're convinced this is good, show it. Well, he comes along, talks about bookkeeping, and this is what we do, blah, blah. And it was just kind of a matter of the fact. I thought, well, I don't want my bookkeeper to be gregarious and frivolous. I want my bookkeeper to be focused and serious. So in that case, you know, you're really good just saying, here's what I do. And you're an introvert. You're, you're good at this because you probably prefer numbers over people. And so you lead indirectly because your value to the leader is huge. If the leader looks at what you give them, you know, we, we undervalue our financial people in any of our organizations when they could give us information that would help us. So we don't have to be an extrovert. That's a myth. So, and so the myth kind of is that people are more drawn to the extrovert um, than anybody else on the team so therefore they bring the most value. Sometimes they're drawn to them. Um, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes that turns them off. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've experienced a variety of, of, of responses. And I think we overrate some things as far as leadership attributes. What is really important is, does that leader have authenticity? Does that leader have integrity? Does that leader have the ability to clearly define the results that they see? We got it in our mind. Can we tell people what it looks like so we can be on the journey together? And those things do not have a home with extrovert or extrovert. Hmm. Now, you, you talk about leadership principles and you give four leadership principles. Would you talk a little bit about those and tell us about those four leadership principles? These are, are, are expressed in terms of uh, the conducting. These are musical, but they, if you can learn Hugh Ballou's four principles of leadership, you can be a better leader anywhere, even in your committee at church. So number one is, so let me just give them, and then I'll go back and explain briefly each one. Number one is know the score. Step on the, on the podium and know the score. Two, hire the best players. Three is rehearse for success. And four is value the rest. So the first one is your foundations. I step on the podium, I know the score. I know exactly where I want to be, and I understand how I'm going to present it to people. And so we have to be very clear on where we're going as a leader, what the vision is, and what it looks like for people there. And then we have to have the ability to say, okay, 
I'm leading, we're going on this journey. So we encourage people by the power of our clarity and focus on where we're going so they get it. Number two, I've got the best players there. Well, you don't want to work with people who are failures. Now, we we work with people who are having a hard time in life. We work with all levels of personnel in organizations, but we don't purposely associate with people that are low performers. What's the old adage? If you want to be broke, hang around a bunch of broke people. If you want to be successful, hang around successful people. So as we're building our teams, and I encourage all leaders to have a group of advisors, find the most successful people. If you're the best person on that team, you need a new team. So find people who are better. I like being in teams where I'm way over my head, which isn't hard a lot of times. So foundations, know where you're going, have the skill. The team is is uh, is the second one. So hire the best. That's about relationships. The third one um, is rehearse for success. That's about systems. We hire good people, we give them the plan, and then we tie their hands because we want to micromanage or we we put them in meetings that are boring and unproductive. In music, if we have a bad rehearsal, we're likely to have a bad concert. Mm -hmm. But in business, nonprofit, church, we have bad meetings, and we think things are going to be peachy. We're teaching people to underperform because we've created dysfunctional or low-functioning systems that are boring and people hate. And then the last one, there's rests in music. So value the rest. They're very important in music. This is about balance. If people tell me I work 15-hour days, seven days a week, I haven't had a vacation for years, like they're bragging about it. That's a victim mentality. No, manage your time. When you're working, work hard. Schedule your planning time. Schedule your recreation time. Schedule your thinking time. So balance personal with work. Balance all the aspects of who we are, spiritual, mental, all of those aspects of us. We stay in shape, and when we go to work, We're not burned out or worn out. We are focused on work because we're ready. So those four principles, foundations, relationships, systems, and balance, and balance makes those other three work. What do you do to balance yourself? What is your, uh, what's your key strategy? What do you go to? I get up in the morning and I walk every morning. I even walk in the rain because that balances me, my life, my perspective for that day and for days to come. What do you do to keep yourself in balance? I have time with my wife in the morning. We read a guided process of readings and scripture, and we sit in our garden, and then we each have our exercise routine, and we do that. So I need to keep myself in, in, in pace, and I also have a good dietary plan because I'm putting good things in my body to keep it, to keep it strong. And I also carve out time for myself. So there's dinner time with my bride. There's vacations for my bride. There is time that we can spend together. And I don't book uh, appointments unless, and she doesn't either, unless it's something that's really can't happen during the weekday. We don't book things on the weekend. So it's a Sabbath time to regenerate and, and be in a relationship together. Wow. So this is something that I guess you come came to over time in terms of what works for you uh, that you will then do on a regular basis. Um, Yes. I, you know, when I was younger, I had way too many jobs and I worked way too much. And so finally, when I got to the big church, it was the first time in my life at, at 51 to somewhere in there that I had, had only had one job. And, you know, conductors usually have two or three jobs. So mm-hmm. it's the first time I had one job. And so I carefully, and, and 
the preacher expected people to work five days a week and Sunday. Um, <laughs> that's why he died at 63. He just burned out. His body. <laughs> but there is a Sabbath for a reason, and it might be a spiritual ritual in Christian or Jewish faith, but it's also a, a leadership principle. Let's, let's set aside time to care for self. And it took me a long time. And actually my bride has helped me understand Sabbath and the power of it. So we do set aside time just to be together. And one of the pieces of information that you sent to me, you said, um, you talked about taking action notes. Now, what, what is that? I teach at a lot of conferences. And um, when I first started teaching, I had lots of points and I, I made the mistake of putting too much content in, which I've backed off on now because people can't drink out of a fire hose and go away with anything substantial. So I focus on key tactics and people are writing every word down, right? Copying every slide. So I, I've made it a habit to say, don't copy the slides. I'll send them to you. Don't write everything I say. Think about the concept. Mm -hmm. And then what are you going to do about what's the concept and what are you going to do about it? It's an action note. People take a lot of notes. They put them in a notebook. And I've seen people come back over and over to multiple events, uh, even different, different events, but the same event not having implemented or what I taught them or accomplished anything. Mm. And we take notes and we put them away and that's not helpful at all. So make action notes and then time activate, time activate those, put them in your calendar over a period of time. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to accomplish this. Think of the actions for the concepts. And then that'll help you think of people that can, you can work with that could help you get there. Excellent. Well, I want to go back to the myths because you had some excellent ones. And I want to um, talk about them before we talk about some transforming strategies. What is the spotlight myth? Well, what I think it means is that we got to always be the focus of attention. That's what that one is. So there, I got a whole bunch of myths. I have to sort them all out because we actually tell ourselves we can't do it. And, and the inner the inner critic keeps us back when we really could and I've had situations where my inner critic was what I thought I was supposed to do and what people I thought people were going to think about me. So no, we don't have to be in the spotlight. The transformational leader is the cheerleader, but the servant leader, it's in the same category, encourages people to be in the spotlight. So when I facilitate group planning, I have everybody in the room come up and do a portion of that, and it helps them engage, but it also helps them feel like they're a part of it. And it lets everybody see, oh, here's somebody that's got some ability to do something. So we don't get to know what people can do until we see them in action. So our job as a leader is to spotlight excellence, no matter where it is, and not not only with ourselves. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. And then what it does for the group is that it shows them that other people get a chance to shine not just the extrovert or not just the, the, the soloist or not just the person who's playing the guitar, but there are, there's, a, there's room for everybody in that particular team to come forth at some particular point. Well, and I've, I've, I've talked to people who said I don't, that my leader doesn't want me to look good because they feel like it's going to make them look less good or make them look bad because I look better. Well, I had the chance of working with some really good clergy in the, the mega churches I worked in. And they understood that if I did a good job, it made them look good. Mm -hmm. so they helped me excel. And there are far too many leaders that want to claim the ideas that somebody else had, want to have the limelight. Okay, we're going to do this. And I want you to do that. 
rather than saying, here's Hugh, he's got a good idea, go for it, Hugh. And that exalts everybody, that lifts up everybody to excellence. Now, another myth that you have is the arrival myth. I can't do anything until I've gotten to my point of being the leader I want to be. I see. We talked a little bit about that. Yeah. So the arrival myth, that's a very interesting point. And I think for many of us, that may be where we get stuck. Yes. Once I get the job or once I get the, for me, trying to do work with my iPad, once I get the computer (laughs) and I learn how to use it. It's it's also the destination myth, you know, I'm going to work on being a leader when I get there. Well, you know, it's a gradual process day by day. We don't, we don't say, Oh, I got the job tomorrow. I'm going to learn how to do it tonight. No, we're going to, I'm good because I've made a lot of mistakes over. I'll be 75 next month. I've made a lot of mistakes and uh, we call those learning opportunities. That's what helps (laughs) us be better. (laughs) <laughs> so if if I waited, I just went for it. I'm a big conductor. Okay, I'm going to try it out. And I'm going to go back and learn what I did. Watching myself on videos is still a way to learn. And I hate watching myself or listening to my interviews, but other people get benefits. So that's fine. So it, it's not when, it's now. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point. It's not when, it's now. I mean, I always heard that saying, it, if it's not if, but it's not when, it's now. Excellent point. What, you had some wonderful quotes um, in the material that I looked up for you. And there's one that, um, let me see if I can find it, because I thought it was so key. I'm not sure if it was Michelangelo who, Michelangelo who said, I dream and then I paint my dream. That is um, Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Van Gogh only worked three years as a painter. He created magnificent masterworks there's a whole museum in amsterdam fango museum and so he said i dream my painting and then i paint my dream and when i do a strategy session with any group i use storyboards they're sticky boards and we write on paper and we post them up there which which i call um visually displayed thinking it helps people stay focused and they get to contribute so that's the energy going toward what we're creating but the energy in the room is dramatically different because people are are engaged. So I start those meetings with blank boards and I use that quote, you know, it, we dream the painting now let's paint it. And so we start constructing the painting. And, um, and it's important that people know they have a voice in the process. Yeah. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. So what is your, what is your closing comment or leadership thought you want to leave us with today? Well, I, I spoke of the, um, I was nothing but potential at one time and somebody believed in. So when we take the focus off ourselves, who do you know that needs encouragement? Who do you know that could learn something from you? Who do you know that you could give a leg up and help them get to where they want to be? Not by doing it for them, but by understanding where they want to go and saying, okay, here's some ideas how can we engage with others, no matter if they're older, younger, or different different discipline? Um, how do we share with others uh, visions of what we've learned and see how we can bring benefit to them? I find there's a huge reciprocity in giving. If we focus on making things better for others, 
you know, that comes back in different ways. Even if it doesn't come back to you, it comes back and goes to another person because you've contributed to the value of everybody by helping another person and encouraging them. How does that contribute to a loving and just world? If we all focused on helping other people instead of I got to have my way or my opinion matters over everybody else, you know, on the interview that you did for me yesterday, we talked about listening. And so have we ever listened to other people's uh, ideas without having to judge them? Mm-hmm. You know, God made us all different. That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we want to perceive conflict and we want to say, no, no, I don't believe that. Instead of saying, okay, you think this, I think this. Well, I bet there's some common ground that we actually can work on it together and we see different perspectives. That's Okay. That just gives us a bigger view, worldview of what possibilities are. And it's really, Richard Rohr writes an epistle we read every day, and it he speaks against uh, dualistic thinking. It doesn't have to be right or left or good or bad or up or down, uh, black or white. It is. And, you know, there's options. We don't have to judge it in terms of this or that. We can judge it as all-encompassing. Because you look at all the plants, look at the instruments, in the orchestra, there's a whole lot of different people in different disciplines. So when we put it together, it's pretty fantastic. I go out and listen to my garden. There's birds, all kinds of birds, all kinds of squirrels, all kinds of plants, and they're all different. And it's just such a great joy to be there. Mm. Now, you've written four books. Tell us a little bit about how you, uh, how you came up with those titles and that content and what you wanted to accomplish with those books. Actually, you got an old bio. I'm sorry. I've written 10 books. 10 books. Wow. And 10 ebooks and 10 online programs. There's a whole lot of content, 400 blog posts and, um, you know, 300 um, um, interviews on the nonprofit exchange. So um, it helps me get clarity to be able to put my thoughts down on paper. And so my first book was Moving Spirits, Building Lives. It was from my position at my 12,000 member church. And I realized that I modeled transformational leadership. People come in as singers. We transform them into a choir. We transform the choir into an ensemble. And then we're about the transformation business, transforming people's lives, which Mm -hmm. we tend to think our product is this. Now, our product is something else. What we do is in our product, what we do is, is helping support the product. So Moving Spirits, Building Lives was Hugh Ballou defining transformational leadership from the position of a conductor. So it's very specific for church leadership. And there's a workbook that goes with that. And then I taught at conferences. I need to have a book on how to, how to facilitate team processes. Um, so I, I wrote that. And it's a, it's a workbook with you can copy all the forms in there. And then I, I knew a lot of great people that had been part of transformation. So I created Transforming Power as an anthology. And the United Methodist Publishing House published it and it had some really great people. And two of them went on to be bishop in the Methodist Church, not because of my book, but I got them when they were just ordinary pastors. And then they went on to higher levels. So I somehow chose the right people. And then there's a lot of books on, on conflict and on running meetings. And there's very specific how to, how to build high performing teams in terms of how do you transform these the staff or these committees into a high performing team. So there's there's lots of different subjects that I have, have books about. And um, there's 10 in print, there's 10 in eBooks e- that are a little different. Some overlap in content. And then I have uh, 10 online courses that are in-depth learning on some of the same topics. We tend to start an, uh, an enterprise 
the business nonprofit a church without understanding the business of running it. So Unbound Leader is unlocking your potential because you don't know all the things you don't know. So here's a step-by-step guide to how you set up this thing and how do you run it? Even independent coaches or speakers need to set up a business. And we don't think about that. We think we're going to be on stage. We're going to get paid a lot of money. Well, that's one stream of revenue. You have one stream of revenue. There's a hundred percent chance you're going to go broke. You need multiple streams in, in every enterprise. So thinking in terms of what is the business of church? What is the business of the nonprofit? What is the business I'm in as an entrepreneur? We might think we're in one business, but we're not in that business. We're in another business. Mm-hmm. So getting clarity of what we do. So I provide people stuff in writing because I was going over the same stuff with co- coaching people over and over. So I said, well, why don't I, I create some things they can read. Then we're, when we're live in coaching, we can get more done. Wow. Amazing. Well, this has been very, very interesting. And um, the idea of transforming your own particular style is something that I'm sure our readers are are interested in because each of us is transforming something every day. So how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to talk with you or get your books or hire you? What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, for me, it's, my name is Hugh Ballou, H-U-G-H-B-A-L-L-O-U. And you put a .com, you got my website. And there's email on there, but you can just go to Hugh at HughBalou.com. Um, and you can Google Hubaloo and you can find a Forbes article about what a conductor knows about leadership and you can find all kinds of stuff about me. So I'm pretty transparent, but HughBaloo.com, there's a communication form there and there's, there's lots of resources on that, including another podcast called Orchestrating Success. And it will link to Center Vision Leadership Foundation for the resources for nonprofit leaders. And we do have lots of free resources that people can take advantage of. The only work However, if you use them, if you take action notes, yes, ma'am, <laughs> I got to be careful what I say to you, cause you're going to capture it. <laughs> I like that. I like that whole idea of action notes. I probably like most people have notebooks, notebooks where there's stuff in there that I've not even been able to get to and who remembers what's in it. So I think that action notes of really looking at what you can accomplish in a particular period of time or what is going to take you where you want to go kind of in the short term is a good way of looking at the information that you bring into yourself. Amen. That's so good. So give me a closing comment or leadership thought that you want to leave with us today. Well, that's one I got from Jim Rohn. Work harder on yourself than you do your business or your nonprofit. We, we need to continually work on ourselves. There's a corporate program called Con- Continuous Improvement. Uh, my take on is let's do continuing improvement of self. We must manage ourselves if we're going to be an effective leader. Mm-hmm. So work on understanding yourself and always, always have a coach. I have a leadership coach. I teach leadership. I do what I tell other people to do. And we must get perspective to keep ourselves um, at the top of our game and growing to the to the next level of that game. So we don't know our blind spots. Have a trusted advisor that can help you think through things and be your best self, not just sometimes, but all the time. All the time. That's a good way to end. Be your best self all the time and get people to help you. Hugh Ballou, thank you so much 
for today's conversation, for the nuggets of wisdom, for destroying some myths. I like the one, the arrival myth. Um, So thank you so much for that. And um, I look forward to talking with you another time. Doris, it's been an honor to be in your show. Thank you for inviting me. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast. You will find us on Audible, C-Suite Radio, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms. We'll see you next time. And remember, the gracious leader is a powerful leader. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.